Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. This is Grant Stuckey. Today, I am super pumped to interview Dr. Jackson Morgan. He's an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Charlotte, North Carolina. Excited to talk to him because he is a purely hospital-based surgeon. His practice is through his hospital, and that's all he does is practicing through the hospital. We haven't had anyone on the podcast who's done that, and so I think it's going to be a great episode for listeners who are considering working in a hospital full-time or part-time, but especially full-time. And so anyways, let's get into it. Dr. Morgan, I was hoping you could give us a brief history of your current training and your practice setup. Really wanting to kind of get back into more surgery-related practice, so I ended up doing an internship at Emory University and their affiliated hospitals there for a year, then applied to oral and maxillofacial surgery after that and ended up matching with Metro Health Medical Center and the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Cleveland. And at the time, there were two residency training programs for oral and maxillofacial surgery within the Case Western Reserve system. There was the university-based hospital, and that was through the dental school. And then there was the program with Metro Health Medical Center, which was basically Cleveland Metropolitan General Hospital. And that was through actually the School of Medicine. And that's where I was at primarily there and ended up staying on staff there. I was working with Rich Haug, and who was our chairman at the time. And then from there, ended up going to position with the University of Florida in Jacksonville. And that was part of the University of Florida program, both through the dental school and the School of Medicine as well. And so in that position, I was primarily doing trauma surgery. That's what I kind of was my forte and what I really enjoyed. And so I stayed there for quite a while and had the great opportunity to really develop a lifelong friendship with Dr. Frank Dolwick. And Frank would come up and rotate or come up and help provide coverage with us in Jacksonville two days a week. So we did all of our trauma surgery there. And then he had a, an additional TMJ clinic that we uh, participated with and everything, too. So that was wonderful. Then from there, you know, I grew up in Texas and I was always trying to get back to Texas. But it's funny how things work. And so I ended up taking a position with Memorial Health University Medical Center, and that's affiliated with Mercer School of Medicine in Savannah, Georgia, and was there for about 17, 18 years, and then was looking just for a lateral move and was able to come to Charlotte. had a good opportunity up here, and it was really kind of strange. With Atrium Health, Dr. Haug was actually the maxillofacial surgery surgeon in the system, and then he had passed away, and then They were without a surgeon for a while within the system. Now, Charlotte has this wonderful, unbelievable network of highly qualified oral and maxillofacial surgeons throughout the system. But within the hospital system itself, Dr. Haug was the person here. And then uh, so I took that position. And so I've been here now almost three years. That's awesome. 
Well, yeah, I'm so um, excited to talk to you because we haven't had someone on the podcast who is just basically in a purely based hospital practice. You know, why did you make that decision to stick to a hospital-based practice and not do a hybrid or private practice? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I was in Cleveland in my residency there, it was a very unique situation that we had there at the Metro Health Medical Center campus. And there was, prior to me becoming a resident there, the otolaryngology service was covering that hospital, which is basically the county hospital for Cuyahoga County. And for whatever reason, there was a change and the residents were taking off that campus and were maintained over at the university hospital setting. And that had been probably in place for about five or six years prior to me becoming a, a resident there. So we had basically, it's a very unique scenario, we had basically two sets of attendings. We had our, our main OMFS faculty, and then we had a series of otolaryngology attendings. And so we were basically the resident service for both the oral and maxillofacial surgery service and the otolaryngology and head and neck surgery service. So it's a very unique thing. You'd be on call for OMFS or on call for trauma. And every night we were also on call for otolaryngology issues. And so you would be, you know, it was not uncommon to break out after rounds in the morning. And some people would go to the clinic and some people would go to the OR for OMFS and some would go to the OR for otolaryngology and head and neck surgery. And so it was a good experience. I took advantage of it and of the opportunity. So I really dug into, you know, an academic type or a hospital-based type of scenario. It's kind of my happy space. It's where I feel the most comfortable. And so I started off in full academic tracks and then was able to take the position in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, was able to maintain that type of practice throughout my career. And so I guess it just, I, I don't know, the groundwork for that was probably just being laid when I was a, a resident. And then I just developed a real passion for trauma and pathology and stuff like that. So it just kind of suited my direction of my practice. That's great. In your mind, what are the, the pros and cons of doing a hospital-based practice like you do? Well, you know, to me, it's all pros, but there are definitely some cons to it. And, and a lot of it is, is that you have to also maintain a, a private practice as well. Even with subsidies from hospital systems and stuff, typically. So it's a tough balance with manipulating all of the inpatient procedures and stuff and referrals and stuff that come to your practice. And then stepping out of that and trying to maintain an active private practice as well. But, you know, I think people, it was interesting. Patients would always complain about parking issues and trying to get to the practice because my practices have been within the hospital systems and on campus within the hospitals, actually, and, and centers for advanced medicine and et cetera. So you end up over time, you just start kind of being the guy or a service that can basically take care of anything. So, you know, the referrals that we received were very good through the dental community. And then we have stuff directly through the medical community. And sometimes it can be a little bit of a challenge because a lot of times patients for not emergent, but kind of semi-elective type things or essential procedures are coming thinking that they're going to have all of these things that are going to be handled and that I'm the guy that takes their insurance when sometimes there's not any insurance for those type of procedures and stuff. So you have to 
kind of juggle that as well. But all in all, I think it's interesting. You know, I've seen a significant change in the oral and maxillofacial surgery IQs of like internal medicine services and family practice services, you know, throughout the past two decades and of where their IQ is coming up and stuff. It's interesting. You, you can get just as many wonderful referrals from primary care people as you can through dental offices and stuff too. But I've always been able to maintain a very good balance between the two. That's awesome. And I'm sure a big pro for you is just a, a variety of stuff that you can do. I mean, you're doing such a probably a bigger scope than most guys will do in their private practice. You know, it is. And I do the what I call the workhorse portion of our specialty and stuff. And it is, you have to kind of be the expert in a lot of different areas. It's never, never changing. It's, it's never the same. And uh, it's always changing. And it's very rewarding. You're kind of taking care of some of the less fortunate people in the communities. And then you see some of the pillars of the community will be coming to you as well. It's really been a very rewarding experience. You know, I think there's a lot of young surgeons, you know, residents and things that would really love to do what you're doing and kind of do full scope in a hospital because it's there's so much great stuff that's taking care of your cases and it's just a lot of good pros of being in a hospital as opposed to trying to do it all in your own your own office, but I think a lot of them have a a fear of not having a lot of control over their schedule and, you know, a lot of red tape and a lot of other people trying to tell you when you can do things and how fast you can do it. How have you dealt with all that stuff? You know, I've always felt that when I've come in back, even when I was a faculty member with Case Western Reserve and the University of Florida, you know, it just, to me, it was my home base uh, being in the hospital system and everything. And so I just integrated, I felt very well with other services. I work extremely closely with plastic and reconstructive surgery, with head and neck and otolaryngology, surgical services. And so, you know, really kind of position yourself to provide your services and sometimes in a group setting or a multi-specialty setting, because I think we're better and sometimes we're, we're stronger as a group than we are sometimes as individuals. But I've always seemed to have a lot of control over it, actually. You know, I know what my block time OR days are, and my clinic was very, very structured and very, very organized. And one thing, you have to be very organized about it. And then as time progresses, you know, you learn the ins and outs of everything. And so what becomes maybe a challenge for other practitioners that really it's kind of a hassle to come to the OR to do a case. And, and there are red tapes and protocols and stuff like that. But when you're in that system on a daily basis, it just becomes less of a challenge for you and stuff. In, in my scenario with Memorial Health University Medical Center, I had actually worked my way through the ranks as I was the chief of oral and maxillofacial surgery there. And I was also a past chairman of the Department of Surgery. And there's not many oral and maxillofacial surgeons, I think, out there in the country that have been chairmen of Department of Surgeries at level one trauma centers and stuff. So you just kind of builds from there. And after a while, it's not an issue. That is so amazing. The, the presence that you've been able to have in your case, I think that's the first time I've heard of that where an oral maxillofacial surgeon is the president or the leader of their surgery group in their hospital is just so awesome. Other chairman of the division. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a, it's an eye opener. And, you know, they're 
their challenges and problems are the same as we have with, you know, oral and maxillofacial surgery and stuff. And it's all dealing with surgeons and, and issues and stuff. But it was an honor to be able to do that. And but I'm glad not being the chairman of the Department of Surgery <laughs> anymore. Is that a lot of headache or what was going on? You know, it's just a lot of administrative stuff. It's a lot. You have so many different surgery services and it's you're just, you know, providing oversight. But it was an honor to do it. And I was very happy to, to take on that role. If you don't mind me asking, how are you paid? Like, what's your compensation like in a setting like this? Well, it can be varied. You know, there can be subsidies through the hospital systems. Then you can work out arrangements to have your own private practices. When I was a faculty member of Case and with the University of Florida, we had intramural private practices, but there's the stipend. There's different ways that those get worked out as a base stipend. Then there's percentages with RVUs and different things like that if you're on one of those systems. In Savannah, I had control over the private portion which was nice to help subsidize other issues and other things and stuff. You know, that comes with other challenges and stuff, just running a business and practice and making sure you have enough copier paper for the copier and stuff like that for your office. And But you have total autonomy with that, which is nice. And then with my current scenario and the other options that you have is where you're just, you're basically a full-time faculty member and you're subsidized directly through the hospital system. And that's what we have here uh, where we're at at Atrium right now. But we have our main hospital is uh, CMC Maine. That was the, the county hospital. It was originally set up as that. We have a satellite overflow hospital with Mercy, Atrium Health Mercy. And then there's a series of other Atrium Health hospitals throughout the community we have so many talented oral and maxillofacial surgeons in the region that provide great services at those facilities as well. But the safety valve for most all of the other stuff comes to Maine, CMC Maine, which is the flagship hospital for the system. And so, you know, that's uh, how we're operating here at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, when I was talking to you in a prior conversation, you had mentioned that when you got to this program, it was kind of not doing so great and you were able to kind of build it up and now you guys are super busy. Well, you know, it was, the program was established and stuff within Atrium. I mean, Dr. Richard Haug was here and unfortunately when he passed away, there was the outside surgeons and continued their support of the system from the periphery and uh, did a wonderful job with it. But internally there was a gap and that was picked up by some other surgeons that donated their time to kind of help keep that afloat for a year at least. And they also had relied on those surgeons to help out intermittently throughout, even when Dr. Haug was here and stuff. But for the most part, it really relied on its outside surgeons. And then internally, there is a oral medicine service here that's an accredited program and a hospital dentistry service as well that has about 14, 13 residents between the two services and stuff. So they were able to, to keep things rolling. And so for myself to be here was just to kind of to fill that spot and just kind of keep things moving forward. You know, now we've just recently hired about a year ago, our second surgeon within the system, Dr. Carrie Baldwin, who is just a absolutely very talented, wonderful surgeon. She went to dental school at uh, Harvard and then uh, did her oral and maxillofacial surgery training and general surgery training through the University of North Carolina system. 
and then uh, went to private practice in the San Francisco area and then was out there for about four or five years and was kind of looking for a change. And then we were at a point where we were interviewing people and it was just a really, really good match to have her here. It's just been absolutely so wonderful having her here. She's worked in and she's got the same idea and focus that we have and stuff. And she's one of those people where I had the, you know, we operate together and we operate independently and stuff. But uh, first time I operated with her, I felt like I'd operated with her for 15 or 20 years. It was a it's just one of those scenarios that can be very important, you know, when you're starting to bring people in and everything. It can sometimes searching for excellent help can not work out that way. But we've been very fortunate and she's so talented and, and we're so glad she's here. That's awesome. I also wanted to ask you, you know, if you have other types of benefits through the hospital system, like do you get your own health insurance through that system? And, and what other perks are there to doing that? Yeah, well, you know, you know, when you're in a university system or whether you're in a another type of an academic or a hospital system, as the employee, you get all of that taken care of, uh, all of your retirement plans and everything, your health care, your malpractice insurance, and uh, everything that you would need is taken care of by that system. So a lot of good benefits. You know, if you were to, to speak to the today's residents, what if advice would you give them for those who, you know, are looking to go into a hospital-based practice like you are? Well, you got to be committed to it and you got to understand what you're stepping into for the most part. It's going to be a challenging but rewarding career or endeavor. And you have to, it's something you have to stay focused with and on top of constantly. And, and there are challenges with anything that you do, but if you're willing to dig in and and take on the challenges, the hospital systems will support you. And I think it's uh, all oral and maxillofacial surgeons, for the most part, I think, are involved with taking their share of call and different things like that within the systems. But when you're taking that position, whether it's in an academic scenario or whether it's in a private or a nonprofit type uh, hospital system, the atmosphere is the same as is it really is. The atmosphere for me here is exactly as it was when I was a full-time academician. It was, and I look at it in that format in the same way. That's, you know, it's a different mindset for the most part, but it's very rewarding. Okay. And then, so if you were talking to these residents, because there's an option, right, of going into like a very established residency program and kind of becoming you know, professor and, and working your way up the ladder over the years versus just going to a hospital that doesn't have a residency program, you know, and you're kind of the main guy who does everything, you know, which of those routes do you recommend and why? Well, I like the academic routes. I think that there's within a division and a department, I think it's nice to be around oral and maxillofacial surgery residents, uh, they're eager. It's nice to be able to teach the specialty while you're able to perform what you do. And so I've been able to do that, but in a little unorthodox way, because both at Memorial Health University Medical Center and here, you know, we have a fair amount of interaction with general surgery residents. And when I was in Savannah, 
I utilized medical students and general surgery residents for larger cases and stuff like that. And they're a resident is a resident at that point, you know, depending on what level or how far down the line they are. But they're eager to operate. It's all relative. But here we have hospital dentistry residents that are able to rotate through our services and uh, as well as oral medicine residents and stuff. So that academic challenge is there and it's stimulating. And that's the part that I like the most. You know, I just haven't been in a scenario where I was just the one guy and then there was nothing else or no other academic requirements involved. So, but those programs do exist out there and stuff. It's just a matter of timing and what's available and the direction that someone wants to take. Well, I think that's also really helpful or it's all helpful what you're saying for guys and gals who are looking to enter a hospital setting. I'm guessing it's easier if, you know, if you have a couple of colleagues with you to manage things and to go on vacation and to kind of, you know, live a balanced lifestyle. You know, that's a challenge. I think you have to learn to make that happen, though. And one of the things is, is that when, you know, you're in a institutional system, it can consume you if you let it happen. You know, I had gotten to a point where I have to relate this to myself, you know. I mean, I love what I do. And my happy space and my uh, safety area is being in the hospital and operating. You know, I just love being in the operating room. I love seeing complex, challenging patients on a daily basis. But that type of lifestyle may not be for everyone because you have to be committed to it. Fortunately, I just had my 30th wedding anniversary this past Memorial Day to my wonderful wife, who was, we got married in my second year of residency, and she's been with me through the whole thing. And, you know, we don't have children. So that was something that kind of made things probably a little easier for me. And maybe I was a little selfish at times, but my practice really took a front or a top position as far as, uh, my focus of time and stuff. And, you know, there was even, it was very difficult to get away for vacations and things like that. But I've learned to kind of to take vacations and stuff. To me, I felt like, and this is probably my own mental issues, is that it was easier for me to work than to take a vacation and then worry about what was not happening while I was on vacation and then all the stuff I had to do when I came back. So, but I'm learning to take vacations now. So it's good. That's awesome. Good advice, I think. For everyone to be able to have a good perspective and see the overall picture and take time, you know, to be with your significant others and kind of decompress every now and then. Yeah, it is, you know, but I've just always been so focused on my practice and that can be good and bad. Yeah, for sure. Well, excellent. Thank you for sharing. I think this will be really helpful for those who are looking into the setting. We end every podcast with four rapid fire questions. So the first question I had for you is, what is the best book you've read in the past year? Okay. You know, it's a book that I had purchased a while back. I'm a history buff. And so I was digging through some boxes and I found this book that I bought or someone had given to me. And so I read this this year. The name of the book is Southern Storm. And it's an encounter on Sherman's March to the Sea during the Civil War. And what was very interesting with it was is the architectural 
challenges that they had of making that that march and that campaign. It was just unbelievable techniques that they had devised to cross rivers and everything. And so it's really kind of an encounter from their their standpoint, just on a mechanized challenge of coming through that country at that time. And But I really enjoyed it. Awesome. There's so much great stuff we can learn from history. I'm also a big fan of books like that. The next question I have for you is, what non-oral surgery thing have you done in your life or do that helps you with your daily oral surgery skills? Well, you know, I grew up in a a family that was always working on engines and different things and kind of grew up in a, a mechanized family with that. And we also were early on, my father and a couple of guys had set up a co-op where they raised cattle kind of as a hobby. They didn't play golf, they raised cattle. So I was yeah, I kind of learned to perform animal husbandry and taking care of cattle and stuff. But I guess the biggest thing, so I've always felt like I've been really good with my hands and stuff, but the biggest thing is that I'm a, an avid guitar player and I play my guitar just about every night. And it, I think just helps me keep my manual dexterity up in a certain way. And uh, so that's what I enjoy. And I think it helps me out more than you could imagine. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of good skills like that that can help you and translate into operating. So very cool. Another question I had is, which forceps do you use to extract tooth number 14? Well, you know, usually the forceps, the last thing I pick up when I'm taking the tooth out, obviously. Uh, but once I feel like that I've got the tooth mobile and where I want it, you know, I like the 90 forcep. As long as you use control with it, I think it works nicely to kind of elevate the tooth out of the socket with it in that maxillary bone back there. And so that's one of my favorite extraction forces for that tooth. Yeah, same here. I reach for the 89 or the 90, depending on which side. So, yeah, I found that they're so helpful because they're anatomic and they kind of fit into the, the natural grooves of the tooth, you know, more so than probably an upper universal or something like that. Yeah, you know, it is. And I think as long as you, you know, you understand the physics of it and the way that it's designed to work is actually kind of a very slow process. And if you let the force do the work for you, it's not that big of a deal. But if you kind of reach in there and grab it and are trying to rotate it around and stuff like that, it can create some issues. But for the most part, it's like what I'm teaching dental residents, basically, on how to take out teeth and stuff like that. You know, I always try to let these guys understand, you know, you got to talk to the tooth. It's going to tell you what it wants to do and everything. And But it's a great instrument if you use it correctly. Yeah. That's interesting what you say about it being a slow process, you know, because I think when you first start, you see other people doing it and, it, and wow, that was so fast. And you, in your mind, you're thinking, I got to do this faster and faster and faster is better. But almost as the years have gone on in, in my practice, I've been able to kind of let that go, you know, the need to be the fastest one to take the tooth out and really kind of listen to the tooth like you're talking about and be patient and section it if you need to and not, you know, put so much pressure that you snap the crown off and all that stuff. And it's been really helpful for me to kind of drop that desire to get it done as soon as possible. Yeah, you just got to be, you know, understand it and be deliberate with it. You know, I mean, everything you put on a patient is for a purpose. And people long before us laid those guidelines and techniques down. They did all the hard stuff. We just have to kind of follow what they did. 
Exactly. And the last question is, what is your favorite quote? (laughs) You know, it's one from my father and my grandfather. I know people have probably heard it before, but it is a quote that I think about daily, actually. I was taught this early on that if you don't have time to perform a task or do something right, just make sure you have plenty of time to do it again. That's a good one. So make time and get the job done right. I like that. Yep. Take your time. Make sure you do it correctly. Sign your name to it or otherwise you better have time to redo it or do it again. Exactly. Yeah, that translates to surgery really well. Yeah, take the time to do it right the first time or else you're going to spend a whole lot of other time doing it again. Well, good. Jackson, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of share your experience and some of the things that you know younger surgeons can be thinking about when they're getting ready to start their career. So very helpful. Well, thank you very much for having me. And if anybody has ever any questions or anything, they can feel free to get in touch with me and I'll give you the links and stuff to that. So thank you very much, Grant. Awesome. Thank you. Is email the best way to get in touch with you or contact the hospital or what's the best way? You can just do that. Be fine. It just through my atrium health email will be fine. That's perfect. Sounds good. Very good. Well, thank you. Let's stay in touch and good luck with surgery in your hospital there. Thank you very much. Will do. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.